I'm Charles Coplin, and you are listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustain Music and Nature. The song is Madman, a track off my guest Rozzy's new record, Him for Tomorrow. She got her first big break at the age of 19 when she was discovered by Adam Levine. Yeah, um, I wrote a song with a mutual friend of his and he heard it and then he wrote me an email and I was at a college party. I went to USC and I got an email from him being from Adam Levine being like, I don't have a label, but I'll start one if you'll be the first artist on it. And that was kind of my, I had been a background singer professionally, so I had some, you know, access to the music industry, but that was kind of the beginning of my artist career. And like, was that, this is probably an obvious question, but a profoundly life-changing event or no, just kind of the next step in the journey? It was life-changing. I mean, I think um, it was particularly life-changing because it frankly came not necessarily too soon, but it came it came quickly before, you know, I was, I could sing and I could write songs, but I didn't really have a clear identity yet. And I didn't really, I hadn't really, I'd been playing shows at USC for like a year. I had a background singing job that I had had for like a month. Um, and it kind of came somewhat out of nowhere, I would say that. So that was, I mean, I'm not sure if it happened later, it might've not felt as dramatic, but it felt very dramatic at the time. <laughs> All right, so that's kind of we're gonna that's the origin story, but we're gonna jump around okay. and I wanna jump right to the present. Great. So, you know, by the time this podcast drops, people are listening to us right now. June has come out, him for tomorrow has come out, um, which I know is really exciting for you. And I wanted to ask you about your songwriting because you have a quote that says, It's the record that I've always had in my head that I'm finally making. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, I guess I kind of alluded to it with your last question. I, I've i known what I, who I was, I mean, I've I known what I wanted to be since I was six years old. So it was a very, um, it was a calling. I, that sounds dramatic, but that's how, it, how it's always felt to me. Um, and yet I think I'm a bit of a late bloomer in terms of just in all ways as a person, I think it's taken me a little bit longer to really know myself and be myself, embody myself, if that makes sense. Um, and it also took a lot of experience for me. Like, you know, my, uh, I don't, I have a very, you know, my family loves art, but I didn't come from a family of artists. So I didn't really grow up understanding how art works or what it means to be an artist or how to be creative. Um, I kind of had to learn that by getting signed at a young age and then dropped and signed again and wrote 250 songs. And then I did all these tours and I, it, I, my creative self was developed through experience. Um, and that didn't happen until my, you know, my late teens and my twenties. And so this record just kind of feels like the culmination of all of that. And like a lot of things that I needed to learn coming together to put me in a position and a, frankly, to give me a, enough confidence to take the reins and really make the record that I always kind of could feel in me, but I didn't know how to execute. So I have a son and he's a songwriter. He's younger than you, not a lot mm -hmm. younger than you. Mm -hmm. And to give you a, a clue as to what I'm going to ask you about, his EP is called songs of worry. <laughs> so I'm very familiar with vulnerability. And mm -hmm. there's another quote 
that you had. I'm using your words against you here or using your words for you. Um, and I love this quote because I think it's what makes art. And the quote is, if I'm embarrassed to put it in a song, that I'm on the right track. Yeah. Can you talk about that? And you, can you maybe point to some examples of yeah. either lyrics or moments where you've crossed the threshold from, uh, I'm not sure I really want to share this, but this is where my art and my spirit lives. It's funny when you ask that question, I immediately panic because the truth is I write these lyrics because I need to, but I saying them as just like a person in conversation is like terrifying to me, frankly, like, cause that's, that's kind of what I mean. It's like, I use songwriting to work through all of my emotions and to, I, I oftentimes will write myself out of a feeling that I'm uncomfortable in. And so I feel the need to like say everything that I would never say in my life. Um, so I guess like maybe the first I wrote this song called Uphill Battle on my last record that I had been another example of something I'd felt inside of me for a long time, but for whatever reason, it didn't come out until this one day in Los Angeles. And that song is kind of like talking shit about myself, but hopefully in a uh, like empowering way. <laughs> um, and there's a lot in there of, that's just kind of breaking down um, you know, qualities that I have that have made it difficult to be with me, to be me, to know me, whatever. Um, and that is an incredibly vulnerable song. And I will say that the release of it and having so many people connect to it made me feel less alone. You know, like somebody got a tattooed on their body, the lyric, you know, like that, like that feeling made me feel less alone because it came from such a point of vulnerability. Um, and there's a lot of examples on my new record. I, honestly, I can't, I don't even want to say the lyrics because I just, I get too shy. That's the truth. These, my songs are really, really personal and I write them um, in a certain way that I use that for that part of myself. And then I don't want to be that way in life all the time. It's kind of the vulnerability outlet. If that makes sense. It does. And I think that's where you're comfortable as an artist because they're not meant to be spoken on a podcast. They're meant to be interpreted <laughs> by a listener uh, I think that's exactly what you're trying to do. And actually, you stole one of my questions because I was going to ask you about Uphill Battle because that's the song that you describe as if if somebody wants to get to know you, yeah, they should listen to Uphill Battle. And now it sounds like, and these are my words, not yours, and they may not be right, that a lot of what you're trying to convey in your new record is kind of picking up where Uphill Battle started. That was your breakthrough, and now you're taking things even further. Yeah, definitely. And and I would say that's true of my whole last record. My whole album, Bad Together, is really personal and it's it is very me. It just was still um I think at that point I was I still kinda had to prove to myself that I was a songwriter and prove to myself that I was an artist. Cause when I was signed to Adam, I was treated much more like a singer. I wasn't treated as much as like a songwriter and an artist, and I kinda had to um frankly write myself out of that narrative a little bit. So I'm so proud of Bad Together, but in a lot of ways, I kind of needed to release that and to to really know inside of myself that I am a writer, I'm an artist, I know who I am, and then I could go make this record and just feel so free. I just felt really free making this record. So yes, I'm definitely picking up where Uphill Battle left off in terms of like getting real personal and telling just stories about my life. I mean, that's the only way I know how to write, but I would say it's even more, um, I'm even more excited about it just because... I really didn't feel any constraints at all. The only voice I was listening to when they made this record was my own. Do I like it? 
does this feel like me? And I wasn't concerned with, am I good? Should I trust myself? I already did. It was just a, a question of like bringing it over the finish line, basically. Yeah. And how liberating is that, right? Yeah. Very liberating. So we talked or have been talking a little bit about your lyrics. Mm -hmm. While the pandemic was obviously awful, I find mm -hmm. in talking to people that everybody has some pandemic positives, mm -hmm. uh, hashtag pandemic positives. Uh, <laughs> and for you, it seems like um, really exploring your music on the piano was something yes. that Mm -hmm. that was part of your your sort of forced lockdown. So yeah. how'd that come about? Yeah, I, I will. I, I have like three pandemic positive. I really can. There's very clear silver linings to the pandemic for me, which I, I'm such an optimist. I like really need a silver lining or at least a lesson. <laughs> so I'm, I like this question. Um, for me, the piano, I've always played, but I never was confident at it. And then in quarantine, no one was allowed in my house. So I had to do it by myself. And it just really forced me to get better. And I, I went to USC for a while and Patrice Russian is like the head of the pop program there. And she unbelievably agreed throughout the pandemic to just FaceTime with me and help me with some of my songs on piano. Um, and she's like one of the greatest musicians ever, piano player, singer, songwriter. She's unbelievable. And so for me, this like barely piano player. I mean, I'm being a little self-deprecating, but it's also just true. I really, so below where she normally teaches. <laughs> I got a lot of help from her. Um, and then I just started, I had to play stuff all the time by myself. And I just was forced to, and I'm really grateful for that because now I crossed a line with piano where I actually really enjoy it. I'm good enough now where I can just play it and it's fun. And it's not like, oh, I'm so bad, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's cool. It's uh, like a part of your arsenal now, which you can bring into uh, alongside the, the beautiful voice that you have, which which is great. Um, now, I do want to talk a little bit. I was a little intimidated coming to this interview because you actually have your own podcast. And I think you guys may be taking a break because I haven't seen any episodes drop in a while. So first of all, I got to say the name, which is Ugh, You're So Good. And then essentially the concept is you and your co-host interviewing really successful, talented people like Nile Rogers, who I learned yeah. did acid with Timothy Leary when he was 15 years old, which is interesting. Um, so I want to ask you about the podcast because it, it leads into questions about who inspires you. Um, I'm curious whether you're going to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the podcast is so fun. I do it with my friend Scott Hoying from Pentatonics. Um, and it started really just for fun, truly, because the two of us love to get dinner and talk about our dreams and our ambitions and what we're working on and drink a little and gossip. That's kind of what we do. And so the podcast is just basically airing that relationship and then bringing in people. It's a great excuse to get to know people who we admire. Um, in terms of what I'm inspired by or who inspires me, I'm very, I mean, passion, people who are really passionate about something and people who border on obsessed with stuff really, really inspires me. Um, and I just love greatness. I really love improvement and I love to learn from people who have gotten great and have improved. You know, I just find it really um, fascinating. You know, like I said, I wasn't raised by artists, but my dad is, you know, incredibly hardworking and raised me to love 
hard work and to love grit. And so my interest in that extends beyond just my obsession, which is music. You know, I really liked to learn from Michelle Kwan about ice skating. I mean, I think about things that I learned in this podcast all the time. So it's really just for fun. I think we will do it again, um, a, a third season. The second season was a little less fun because of COVID. So much of the vibe is like hanging in Scott's house and having a drink and hanging afterwards and really becoming friends. And if we did any podcast in person, it was like distance outside. And of course, just like everything in life, it wasn't as fun. Um, so I think we're taking a break and hopefully when he and I are both in the same place again and maybe have made some new friends who we can convince to be on our podcast, <laughs> then, um, then we'll bring it back because we love it. Yeah, it's great. I, I've been, I've enjoyed listening to it. So this is the the moment of the podcast where I'm going to do something that I try not to do, but I'm going to do it anyway, which is make it a little bit about me. And the right. reason I'm going to make it a little bit about me is I have to tell you, you mentioned Michelle Kwan, which is so weird because I used to work for ABC Sports and like the first interview I ever did with a, any sort of famous athlete is I flew yeah. to LA and I drove all the way up to Lake Arrowhead. I think that's what it's called. And I interviewed Michelle Kwan. So that's kind of weird really? that you like brought she's up so Michelle kind, Kwan. right? She's very kind. Oh, she and was just, tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah wonderful. Tremendous. That's a small world. Uh, so, and, and keeping it about me, there, there's a couple things that you mentioned that I wanted to get your thoughts on because I'm a huge fan of these two things. So the first is, um, in just in terms of common interests, East of Eden is like my favorite book of all time. Oh my God, but, me too. But I've never read it again. So I guess my question is like, you've reread it. And okay, there's a caveat to that. The first time okay. I read it, I was like 12. I read it when I was a kid and I was obsessed with it. And I think I felt like a grown up because I was reading this big, long book. And I remember being a kid and like realizing the like good and evil theme, which obviously is very obvious, but I was young and I think kind of recognizing the, the Cain and the Abel and the C and the A, there was something about that that I felt so empowered by my ability <laughs> to discern that, that it made me feel really smart. And so I think that's why the book meant so much to me at that age. And then I didn't read it again until last year. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, this really just is the greatest book. I like it, it, it totally separate from my personal experience with it. So I have reread it. But one, I, I kind of feel like that's such a wide amount of years between when I read it the first time and the second time. Stay with us. When we come back, we switch from books to TV and, of course, more music with Rozzy. This is Songscapes. Ever wonder why conservation messaging has such a hard time reaching people? So did we, and that's why we started Sustain Music and Nature. We take a celebratory approach, showcasing the beauty of public lands through music. Music reaches everyone. Our mission is to make music a force for nature. When you watch one of our National Park music videos or attend a concert out on the trails, our goal is for you to be inspired to enjoy and support these at-risk areas. Public lands belong to all of us, and music is the perfect way to bring this message to everyone. Consider a one-time donation or join our Patreon to help us create exciting programs and musical collaborations that celebrate and protect public lands for all. You can make music a force for nature. Learn more at sustainmusicandnature.org.
You are listening to Songscapes. I took a little detour with Rozzy because I knew she loved the television show, The West Wing. Having just finished the fourth season myself, I asked her if it was worth going on to season five since creator Aaron Sorkin had left the show. That's a really good question. I got to be honest with you. So it's kind of similar to East of Eden. I watched all of The West Wing when I was a kid with my dad because he loved it and I loved watching it with him. I rewatched it last year into this year. And I actually just think when you just said that, I realized that I tried to watch the After the Sorkin years and I stopped, I think is what okay. happened. Lost interest. It's kind okay. of devastating. It's pretty, it actually was very devastating that there wasn't a clean ending to that with him. Um, it's really upsetting for me because it's that show means a lot to me. I love it so much. And I, I just, I realized it wasn't even a choice. I just think I, when you just said that, I realized I got lost interest and just stopped watching it. Yeah, it's a great show, but there is a true art and we could talk for hours and we won't about certain series where you got to kind of know when they either jumped the shark or when it was I'm no longer. I will say the UK seems to understand the beauty of like Fleabag is one of my other favorite shows. And oh. everyone's like, why just two seasons? How could you only do two seasons? I'm like, I think that's brilliant of her. She told the story. If she's not inspired to tell another story, that means the story's over. Um, and she goes on to tell a different story. And I think in the US sometimes we just keep making stuff that's working. <laughs> and so we we kill it by the end. Well, to your point, I mean, first of all, the second season of Fleabag is about as good as it gets. Secondly, yeah. even though the American office is very good, you just have to look at the difference between when Ricky Gervais stopped doing the British office and when they kept doing the American office. Right. But let's move on. I'm going to stay with TV, but I'm going to go to you. So you have you've been on Kimmel. Yeah. You've been on the Today Show. Mm -hmm. uh, you've toured with big artists. And I know that Stevie Nicks is, is a huge influence of, of yours mm -hmm. who – you know, as we all know, definitely reached the highest heights and then dealt with a lot of demons when she was famous. How are you doing? Uh, and I know your boyfriend's also, uh, I think, out, you know, as an artist, as an actor. Yeah. So how are you doing with the whole fame thing? Like, obviously, you're going to be you're going to be self-effacing, but you're going to become more famous. It's inevitable. How are you with the embracing nature of? Of, wow, interesting question. Um, I, the, my honest answer is I am so consumed by the things that I have not achieved and the things that I have not yet reached and the things that I want to do that I haven't, that I never think about that. I, like I really never, that it's never crossed my mind. I'm very consumed by the stuff I want to still do. Um, fame, I feel like could be fun for a second, but it doesn't, have really anything to do with why I am addicted to being an artist. Um, frankly, I, it's hard for me to understand why somebody would go through what you go through as an artist if what you really want is fame. You know, I think they're very different things. Um, and I do think, like, you know, I'm a performer. I like attention. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me when someone wants a picture of me or something. You know, that's flattering to me. But it, it's so, like, sugar compared to, like, the meal, which is – for me, the feeling of connection. I just want to connect with as many people as possible. The way Stevie Nicks, like when I was in seventh grade, I listened to rumors every single morning and it made me feel so much less alone when middle school was hard and I didn't have as many friends as sixth grade. And that, that I felt so connected to these people from a different place, different time who I never met. And for me, I, I have that same addiction as the artist 
when somebody knows my song or can connect, like I said about uphill battle, that feeling is like everything to me. I still remember being in seventh grade and I was in a musical and the first time a stranger cried to me about my performance. I'll never forget that feeling. That to me was like, oh, that's it. That feeling of we don't know each other, but we do. Um, so fame uh, sounds really exhausting and scary and maybe fun every once in a while. Um, but it mostly feels like a side effect or like a byproduct of what I'm really, what I really want, which is I, I want to sing and connect and reach as many people as possible uh, for the, that feeling of connection, not for being recognized. Yeah, and maybe I should have done a better job setting up the question, which is not I'm not suggesting fame is your aspiration. Right. I think your metaphor about sugar is a good one, whereas yeah. it's a necessary evil mm -hmm. with popularity and success in your profession. And um, you're getting here and there some tastes of it. And so that's mm -hmm. why I was curious. Yeah. But I think you answered the question. I think it was yeah. a good answer to the question. Yeah, it's it's a it's a complicated thing. I mean, I watch my boyfriend deal with it, you know, obviously significantly more than me. And he's very graceful about it. To, uh, in his similar way of really, he's an artist. He doesn't really care about fame. He cares about creating art. And I'm very inspired by him because he is happiest when he's just making stuff. He's not happiest when he's, you know, like the, the, the attention is more complicated. What he's truly satisfied is when he is creating beautiful art. Um, and that really inspires me. Yeah. It goes back to what your dad said, which is the, the magic's in the work, the, the, yeah. The fulfillments in the work. So yeah. my, my sort of last TV question has to do with um, not not so much your appearance, but the fact that on on the morning show and the soundtrack, you covered Creep. And, and obviously, uh, if you ask Tom York, uh, Creep's not necessarily what he wants Radiohead to be known for, even <laughs> though he just re-released a version of Creep. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I actually haven't heard it, but it was like, I think a week ago, either. he, he yeah. put out a new release of it's, I think it's called Creep 2021. But my mm -hmm. question for you is why Creep? How'd that come about? Um, I and you kill that song, by the way, you kill you. that song. Thank you. I can't take any credit for that. Um, I sang at someone's wedding and um, one of the brilliant producers of the morning show was there and she, um, she wanted to add that. She she had this idea to have me come and do that after hearing me sing. And she wanted Creep. She wanted it to kind of be this jazz version. Um, and when I asked her why Creep, she said the character, Reese Witherspoon's character is kind of feeling uncomfortable and out of her body a little bit in this in her in the scene and that was where the idea came from and i i mean i just love the song so much i love radiohead i i'm sorry if they don't want to be recognized for that song but it's just too good to not yeah. get that attention <laughs> um and i had so much fun doing that also because it just was so fun to be a part of something so big and exciting and cool and i just felt very lucky to kind of have this small part in it and um i had really bad laryngitis the week before i recorded i remember i found a way to not tell them that I had laryngitis because I was worried they would get nervous and push the day, the recording day by like two days. And so you can hear in my voice, like a lot of gravel that I actually think worked out pretty well for the song, yeah. <laughs> but I was really sick right before I did it. Sounds intentional. And to be affiliated with Radiohead in any way, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. fine. I just want to make sure before we move on, and I think you've sort of covered this, but you were not singing Creep at the wedding because as songs no. go, that would probably be the most no, no, no. inappropriate song you could sing at a wedding. Some love song. Yes. 
Yeah. She just yeah, got the idea. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I thought. Just check it. Um, so this podcast, in addition to being about music, is is also about nature. And, you know, you I, I would love for you to talk about your collaboration on Orange Skies um, and, and what was behind doing that. I think it's very, unfortunately, it's it's a very current Mm-hmm. Uh, phenomenon, even though there's probably a, a better word. So how, how did that come about? And, and just take us yeah. into that a little bit, if you could. Um, I'm from San Francisco, and I have been well aware of climate change my whole life, um, which I think, frankly, doesn't feel like something to brag about. It makes me, if anything, more embarrassed, you know, because like, I can't use the excuse if I didn't know. I mean, I'm from a really hippie, liberal place. I learned about climate change. We call it global warming then, but in all my science classes. Um, and so it's always kind of been a point of concern for me. I also, you know, I, I live, I grew up by the water. I live in Los Angeles most of the time. I, the, you know, I'm aware of like the idea of if some if oceans rise, what that could mean in like a really practical sense. Um, but this song specifically, I was in Los Angeles where I live and the fires were just outrageous and the air was awful. I mean, it was really scary. It was very apocalyptic. And I remember... I write with my good friend Eric Leva all the time, and he's my neighbor. And so I walked his apartment to write. This was in 2019. And I shouldn't have walked, honestly, because the air was awful. And I got there and I was like, we can't write about anything but this because this is insane. <laughs> you know, I can't like come in here and be like, I have a boy problem. You know, like I, it just felt too ridiculous. Um, and so we wrote this song, honestly, like I don't have any expectation that a song can cause a uh, significant change, but I do believe that music is uh, completely intertwined with movements. And I, I wasn't alive then to know what came first, you know, in the sixties, <laughs> was it the music or the movement? I don't really know, but I know that it's my job as an artist to reflect my experience and whether that's my experience with a friend or a family member in my own personal life or my experience with the world and the things that we're facing. Uh, my goal was to, to showcase the intimacy and um, personalness of climate change. Cause I think we hear climate change and this is melting and it's a scientific fact and it's about polar bears and it's happening over there, but it's not, it's incredibly personal. And I was trying to kind of draw to connect the dots that our skies are smoky because of climate change. So this thing that you think is distant is not distant. It's at our doorsteps and people are losing their homes and their lives already. Um, and that's a really long-winded answer, but I just, it felt necessary to talk about. And then when the fires came to San Francisco last year, where I'm from, and I got these photos from my parents through my bedroom window, just literal orange skies, uh, we decided, fortunately, BMG and Steve Greenberg, who was the, the head of my label at the time, was very down to just release the song, donate most of the money to charity, um, and try and just be that tiny little uh, art, you know, to, to, to bring attention to the issue in a small way through art, which, again, I don't have some big expectation for it, but I feel obliged to do it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Hey, small changes, big results. And I think, to your point, the music and the movement have always been integrated and always would be, yeah. and, and it brings awareness. And staying with that awareness and nature. I want to shift a little bit. And I ask all my guests these questions. Think in terms of nature as a positive, as a muse, as an inspiring part of your art. Is there a particular public lands moment that you recall or can recall where you were just somewhere and you felt this 
magical spiritual connection. Yes. Take us there if you could. So it's interesting. You know, I have the song called Joshua Tree, which um, is a breakup song. It has really not very much to do with Joshua Tree, but that place was special to me long before that song or that, that the person it's about or any of that. When I was in high school, Again, I'm from a hippie place. <laughs> we did this thing called Vision Quest, where it was optional, where you could go to the desert with a group of people and a couple teachers, and then you go off alone, totally by yourself, for three days and three nights and fast. Um, and I was really afraid to do this. I am a city girl. I am. I love nature, but I've never been like one with nature. Like I really, I'm, I'm, I'm. I don't trust myself in the wilderness necessarily. <laughs> so I was really scared to do it. But I love doing things that scare me. Um, and so I had these three very long days and nights by myself in the desert with no food, um, as a, as an 18 year old and I, or maybe even 17, I, I was, it was, I was young and it was one of the most life-changing experiences of my life to, I think about the spot still, I can see the exact spot that I sat in. And one of the things that always stick, I mean, it honestly gives me chills when I think about it. It's like, it's there right now. It's just there. It's still there. All these things have happened in my life. I had this worry and that worry and this thing and that thing. And this place was just there. The sun came up, the sun went down, the sun came up, the sun went down. It's just there. And I find that incredibly grounding. And um, it it also reminds me that um, I'm very small. And that is a wonderful thing for the ego, I think. Um, so... I, that's one of the most life-changing, and it was in Joshua Tree, if I didn't clarify that. <laughs> it's one of the most life-changing experiences of my life. So I got to say this with all due respect to my other guests who I've asked that question of. That is the best answer to that uh, question. I thank ever. you. Um, so to push your luck, I'm going to ask you one other question that I ask all my guests. Is there a particular song, it could be yours, it could be somebody else's, that is sort of your go-to when you sort of have a positive connection to nature? Um, I don't know if it's a song, but Joni Mitchell. I would say Joni Mitchell. She feels, and I don't even have, I mean, other than like paved paradise, I can't even think of a lyric that is nature specific, but her essence to me feels very grounded in the earth and very connected to it. And when I hear her, she feels like nature. I don't know if that's weird, but she's... she's no, I, I think that's that's interesting too, because even when you think about like hissing of summer lawns, you know, mm -hmm. even though that's, I guess, theoretically about sprinklers, mm -hmm. which yeah. is not nature, it just sort of takes you into that place. So yeah. I And I, I guess I'm thinking ladies of the canyon. Maybe I'm like a can in a canyon, so I don't know. But she just, she, uh, I associate her particularly with Joshua Tree, I will say. Something about the desert, I associate her. Um, and I don't know where that comes from, but that's what I would listen to for sure. So I got one more question for you, which is um, what do you want this next year to bring to you? What would make this a great year? That feeling of connection that I'm so addicted to. Um, I miss going to shows. I miss playing shows more than anything. Um, hopefully I will be, I am playing one small one in Los Angeles in August and August 6th. Um, but hopefully I'll be playing more in October. I'm, I am really praying that that still happens with the world. Um, releasing my music 
feeling like it's very weird to share these songs. I've had them for so long just to myself. And then you give them away and they're no longer yours. And I cannot wait till they're no longer mine, but it's a really scary, I don't like the process of releasing music. I really don't enjoy it. Um, I always feel proud after the fact once it's already out. And I'm looking forward to that feeling of people, like like actually another wonderful fan of mine uh, is getting a different song lyric tattooed on her body this week. And not that I keep mentioning that, like I care about that. I mean, it's not, that's not like the sign of success, but there's something about, oh my God, something I wrote for myself in a, in a dark moment for myself meant, means enough to you that you want to put it on your body forever. That is connection. That is bringing people together. And I just love that feeling more than anything. So connection through music. That's all I really want in every kind of way. You can connect with Rosie by getting her new record, Him for Tomorrow, and find out more about tour dates by going to thisisrozzy.com. I'm Charles Coughlin, and you have been listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustained Music and Nature. If you like this podcast, rate us and subscribe. And for more, go to sustainmusicandnature.org. I could go slow, that's what you want, but you never gave me a shot, babe. I could be sweet if that's your type, what